me pray for us today as you're still praying, some of you in your groups. God, may we see a harvest um, and may we point back to moments like today and this time of worship. May we point back to moments like this moment and say, we, we were praying for God to move. Let us not be surprised. Let us not be taken off guard. Let us on Christmas Eve and, and Christmas Day see uh, numerous people give their lives, surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, stepping out of darkness into light. God, may we, we see people stepping out of just drowning physically, spiritually, emotionally, and stepping into surrender and grace found in Jesus Christ. And may we not be surprised by that. May we be excited about it with expectation of your moving among us. And God, as we continue to pray this morning, God, just guide us uh, in those prayers and in those that need to know you that are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as you make your way back to your seats, one more prayer for you, not with a group. All right, this is a take home. So you can go back to your seats, all right? Uh, in, in your seats somewhere around you, there is a prayer guide for you for something for you to pray about at home for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which takes place two weeks from this Sunday. And for those of you who are unaware what that is, Lottie Moon uh, was a missionary that served in the late 1800s, in the early 1800s, and served um, in China and served uh, just faithfully and challenged. Uh, the, the, the Baptist to give. And so through the Southern Baptist Convention, we support 4,500 missionaries around the world who are taking the same message of grace that we're praying about this morning. They're taking that message all over the world. And so these, these two uh, resources that were given you, they look a lot, they, they don't look the same, but they really are the same. Uh, one is an unfold, this little pamphlet unfolds, and it gives you eight days of prayer for missionaries all over the world for you to pray. The other one is the same information, but there are eight bookmarks for you to pray and for you to pray for missionaries around the world. And so we want you to take those home uh, and make praying not just for the offering um, that last year over the month of December, we God just blessed us with over $50,000 that went towards the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We have, we have, we're not setting a, a limit on that of what God may, may, may or may not do this Christmas, but we're not just praying for the offering. We're praying for those that the offering is going toward. And so this gives you the resources to do that. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship with one more song before we enter into First Peter again this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity to collectively pray together. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of fellowship. God, I pray for relationships that may have been made this morning um, that are new, that people uh, were able to, to meet someone they never met before. I pray that um, they had someone pray for them and are going to have someone praying for them. Uh, through this Christmas season and beyond for someone they know that needs to know Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for just the freedom to do this today as a church. Freedom to worship, freedom to teach, and freedom to fellowship, and we pray together. God, thank you. Uh, May we continue to worship you faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us this morning? God, we've prayed together of Thanksgiving. We pray for those who don't know you, and God, we're going to continue to to teach and lead uh, and even invite at the conclusion of this time to be uh, a launching of prayer uh, for those in leadership, God, as we see from your word this morning. And so, God, we, uh, we just trust in your word to lead us again um, to prayer, God, and may we see that as a congregation and just embrace that, God, from the early church. God, and as we just come down to the home stretch of this book that we've been looking at, this letter that we've uh, been walking through of 1 Peter, God, may we grow even more today as we examine leadership in the church, but also how 
we serve and how we love each other within the church. God, thank you for this opportunity to worship, to pray together, to fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. For those of you who, who think we're never going to get out of this book, this five-chapter book, I just want to let you know next Sunday is the last Sunday of 1 Peter. Um, some of you may wish there were more chapters to 1 Peter, but it's, it's five, so we're going to land at the end of chapter 5 and then begin talking about Christmas and what that means for us on December 11th, 18th, and then Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and we'll share more of those, those worship service times and all that's taken place. But at the beginning of this chapter, I just, uh, the, Paul has, he, I mean, Peter has been talking throughout this entire letter through to the early church and to these groups of believers who now have been dispersed in these various regions and areas that we now know as Turkey, Italy, Greece. And, and he's writing to them to encourage them, but also to challenge them on here's how you live in culture. Here's how you live when culture's not Christian. When culture's not in the favor of those who are followers of Christ. Here's how you live out your faith. And so we've been examining these words all the way back into September. And then two weeks ago, it really, to me, built and got extremely practical in our daily lives when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. that tells us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And so we concluded that week with this thought. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to be a dispenser of grace. Every single one of us is a steward of the grace that we've experienced. Therefore, we're to turn that outwardly towards other people. And then we walked through a really heavy passage last Sunday about suffering and about trial and about difficulties and how the early church would face those. But then also how that might prepare us to minister to other people. And we summarized last week by saying that suffering prepares us to be more effective as dispensers of grace. And as we launched into this season of sharing, the idea there from God's Word, I believe, is for us to have our hearts open and our eyes open to look for people in our lives who are really facing difficult Christmas season for maybe a financial reason, maybe an emotional reason, maybe a family reason, and that we would come alongside them, that we would see them with our eyes and be broken in our hearts to say, I've experienced some difficulties it's time for me to use those to minister to them in their suffering. So that was our challenge last week. Now, now we come to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and really it's a sermon to pastors. It's a teaching to pastors. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll let somebody else preach this and preach it to me, all right? But so I, I get to preach a sermon to myself, all right? It's a little awkward, so you can just rest easy. No, I believe it's for all Christian leaders it's not for us to sidestep and go, well, that's for the pastor and the shepherd or the, the elder of the church. That's not for me. I don't believe we distance ourselves from that. But I do believe this morning um, that I want you to know and see that when we read through passages such as this in 1 Timothy and Titus, you see the calling that I've replied to, that other pastors have replied to, that other staff at this church and other churches have answered the call. And so in that, understand, this is the calling that we've replied and, and accepted this calling from God and said, I will follow you into this calling, this holy calling that you've placed us. And we're going to see the heaviness of that calling this morning, quite honestly. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, 
as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, when I read this, the first verse really grabs my attention. Because Peter says something. He says, I'm writing to you as a fellow elder. But when I think of Peter, there's a range of things that if I had him to step on the stage this morning, which I can't, but if I would, you know, there's some great ways that you could introduce the Apostle Peter. I mean, you could try this on. You could say, I'd now like to introduce you to our guest speaker for today. His, his, he's a pastor. He loves God's word. He was the first preacher following the ascension of Jesus. And one of his first messages, thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus. Would you guys welcome Peter on the stage with me? I mean, that's quite a welcome, right? And that's a true thing. Would you please welcome for me, Peter? I mean, this guy has done some incredible things, and God's used him in incredible moments. He has seen someone that was lame walk. Would you please welcome Peter as he comes up on the stage? I mean, that's how, if I was Peter, those are the welcoming remarks I would want. But I believe Peter introduced himself back into this role of eldership and leadership, of being an elder, a shepherd, to the church when he says something. He says, I am a fellow elder. He's not placing himself above the other Christian leaders, is he? He's not placing himself below them, but he's placing himself with them because, see, we want to think of the grand moments that Peter has. But Peter had some miserable moments. Peter had some moments that you wouldn't use for an intro. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce Peter to you. He's the guy that denied Jesus three times, and at a moment where Jesus asked him to go pray in the garden, he fell asleep. Would you welcome to the stage Peter? And when I read these words, he is a fellow elder. I take encouragement from this. Because he's speaking to the pastors and the leaders and the shepherds, those guiding the early church, and he's saying, listen, I'm not above you. I know the mistakes I've made. I know the difficulties I've walked through. But I also know the miraculous moments that God's allowed me by grace to experience. And so what I'm about to share with you, I share because I've been there. I share because I've walked through those difficulties. I share because I've stumbled in my faith. I've shared because I've seen miraculous moments of God around me. So fellow elder... I want to greet you as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I I saw the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He's given validity to his teaching. He's raising the importance of his teaching. This word, this pastor, overseer, mature leader, outlined in the book of Acts in 1 Timothy and Titus. Peter could have said, let me encourage you because I was the first preacher. I was it. But instead, he says, hey, can I exhort you? Can I encourage you with instruction? 
That's what that means. Because I've been there. Because I've walked where you're walking in the difficult shoes that you sometimes find yourself in. Peter had a great way to encourage simply by his introduction. But I want to share a point out of verse 5. I know that's at the end of this passage because I think it's important to lay it and kind of lay it as a blanket over all of these teachings this morning. Verse 5, we see this take place. It's not on the screen. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Leadership within the church must be dispensed with grace and humility. Leadership within the church must be dispensed with grace and humility. But verse 5 says something. It says one to another, which means also, I believe, for you as a church to recognize this. Leadership within the church must be received with grace and humility. Now see, this is a both and. It's not an either or. Well, pastor, you should be filled with grace and humility, but I can be filled with whatever I want to be filled with. Or I should be filled with grace and humility, and pastor, you can do whatever you want. No, it's a both and relationship. Because let me just fill you in on something, in case you didn't know it. No pastor is perfect. No pastor is perfect. Now, I don't want too big of amens on that one because you might hurt my feelings, all right? But no pastor is perfect. Likewise, no church member is perfect. And no church is perfect. But we function in unity. How? When we extend back and forth grace and humility, back and forth in leadership. Not when we lead as a dictator, but when we lead with decisions of grace and humility to you, that you know that we love and care for you as a body, that you receive and you extend grace and humility to us when we step out of bounds, when we say something we shouldn't, when we need to be forgiven, that there's grace and humility back and forth when we miss something, that there's grace and humility offered and grace and humility received back and forth in this relationship. It's what unites us and launches us into church health. It really is. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 2, four principles, though, for us to see in this guiding and this teaching towards pastors. Shepherd the flock that God, um, of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. First thing, Christian leaders are called to shepherd those that God has placed in your life. Notice it doesn't say Peter doesn't say, hey, go shepherd your flock or my flock, meaning I as a pastor am a under-shepherd under the leadership of God. He later on says in verse 4, he says that the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory, referring to the coming of Christ. I'm not the shepherd. I am under that shepherd. But he has placed, for whatever reason, he has placed me, and other leaders in this congregation, and if you attend another church on another Sunday, he's placed your pastor and leadership in that position as the pastor of God's people in that place. Now, a shepherd is a difficult calling. To, to shepherd a, a flock, it's hard at times because sheep just don't always listen. Grace and humility, all right? Let's keep it practice. 
because sheep, biblically, when you look, and also look just agriculturally, sheep are a different herd, are a difficult herd. At times they must be disciplined, at times they must be loved, at times they must be cared for, at times they must be mended, at times you've got to put them on your shoulder, at times you've got to go search for them. And he says, shepherd the flock that God has placed among you. It is a holy calling. It's not a vocation. This role as a pastor, as a leader, or as a staff member, as a leader in this church, as a Christian leader as an elder guiding over a group of people and teaching and leadership. It's not a vocation. It's a calling. Charles Spurgeon once put this very directly and kind of hard to swallow, but I read this from really the preacher of preachers. He said, I've met 10, 20, 100 brothers who have pleaded that they were sure, quite sure that they were called to the ministry. They were quite certain of it because they'd failed at everything else. (laughs) It's not a compliment, by the way, in case you're trying to awkwardly figure out how to respond to that. The ministry needs the very best of men and not those who cannot do anything else. A man who would succeed as a preacher would probably do well as a grocer or a lawyer or anything else. A really valuable minister would have excelled at anything, Spurgeon says. Then he says this, Jesus Christ deserves the best men to preach the cross, not the empty-headed. He later on said, if you feel called to ministry, but you can go do anything else, go do that. Because he raises this calling, and Peter's raising this calling as a fellow elder. He's not distancing himself. He said, let let me just speak to this as one of you, a fellow elder. Christian leaders are also called to serve willingly and not out of obligation. Willingly and not out of obligation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Many people who enter the ministry have this moment of, am I called? I don't believe this is that moment that we're wrestling with but that in in the middle of their calling, in the middle of their ministry, they do so out of obligation instead of out of willingness. When I do something out of compulsion, the word that's used there, a strong word, when I do something out of obligation, I do it dramatically different than when I do it willingly. And most of the time, I do it better when I do it willingly and not out of compulsion. For instance, this did not happen, but maybe it could. On a Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, I'm watching a football game. All is calm, all is not bright because the day is finally over, right? And man, I'm just ready to sit down and watch TV, watch the game. And then all of a sudden, somebody in my house says, hey, can you come help unclog this drain? Or can you come do this? You know what's going to happen in that moment? What has happened in those moments, there's either a shrugging of the shoulders, there's a rolling of the eyes, and if you can't do the physical things, you do it in your head and your heart. And you go, do I really have to do that right now? And you may get up and you may walk in or I may walk in there and do whatever task it is, but when I'm doing it under compulsion and obligation, everybody around me knows it. And everybody around you doesn't want to be around you in that moment. 
because you're doing it out of compulsion and obligation, not out of a willingness. And he says, listen, Christian leaders, you're called to serve willingly, not out of obligation. Peter knew the difference of willingness versus working under compulsion and that they deliver very different results. The third thing to see this morning, Christian leaders are commanded to serve with eagerness, not for personal gain. The latter part there, verse 2 says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. To serve eagerly is, is really close to willingly. Serving in Christian leadership is not to be done with the prospect of personal gain, monetary or popularity or whatever that may be. Scripture is also clear that it is the responsibility of the congregation to care for the, the pastor and the leadership, and you guys do an incredible job of that not just in your offerings and that, how that comes to us, but, but in your salaries and how you set those things, but just your love and care for us, just admonish that to you as a congregation today. But he says that you're not to do so for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, this would never happen in my, ho- happen in my house, but let's just suppose I, I went to one of my children and I said, hey, I, I, I don't know what you got going on this afternoon. It's a really pretty day and and I say, you know, I've been thinking about this. Would you like to just spend the next three hours, forget your schoolwork, forget your homework, and just spend the next three hours playing with the neighborhood kids and just playing Xbox for the next three hours? Right? And just giving them that permission. They go, yeah, awesome, Dad. And Mom comes in and goes, what are you doing? Dad gave us permission for three hours, right? And you just go, what's going on? But now let's flip that. If, if we were to come across and come across our children or ourselves, let's place ourselves in that moment, and a boss come to you or a parent come to you and say, hey, instead of three hours doing whatever it is you love and enjoy, what if you've been given the calling to, to go out and rake leaves for three hours? The question is not, really? It's Really? How much am I going to get paid for that? I mean, I got to serve that overtime. I mean, really, how much is, how, what's in this for me? It's what he's saying. We don't serve as Christian leaders for what's in it for us. The ultimate goal and the ultimate reward is to serve and to see, even through some of the most difficult moments of walking with people, to see the miraculous hand of God move. That's the reward. That's the ultimate payoff as a pastor, as a leader, to to see those moments shift, to see, even as I looked out this morning and part of this room this morning, to see a couple here this morning that greatly struggled in their marriage, to see them sitting in this room worshiping together. That's a reward that has no value monetarily. But it has incredible gain for the kingdom of God, and it brings blessing on a Christian leader. Countless places in this room I could exercise and just share those moments where God is moving mightily in your life and those the things that we do with great eagerness, he says. Willing, eager. Christian leaders, elders, fellow elders, he says. The fourth thing I want us to see quickly is Christian leaders are called to set an example. Christian leaders are not called to be dictators. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
Peter uses a really interesting word here for example. The word example there is the same of which would be used to, to uh, point to a die or a stamp or a mold being made so that something can be easily duplicated. Over and over, the example has been set. The, the die cut has been placed. You can pick it up, you can copy it. Pick it up, produce a new one. Pick it up, produce a new one. And he's, what does he say? But being examples to the flock. Paul was very strong in this. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He wasn't pointing to himself as perfection. Not at all. But he was saying, as I attain and search my life and desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, use me as an example. Cut me out, model me, shape your life after the example that I'm setting in Jesus Christ. Talk about a calling. Talk about heightening the role of, of the leaders in the early church. And this is where we as leaders, you, you sense the burden of leadership, of saying, not for perfection, but as I serve Christ, follow me, come along with me, walk alongside with me, see the mistakes, see the flaws, see the forgiveness, see the grace, see the moments of rejoicing, the moments of pain. Walk with me as a Christian leader, as a fellow elder, I was reading through this Wednesday, and I thought, you know, Peter, I mean, out of all the things you could have used for your final charge, why didn't you address immorality again, right? I mean, you got, you got a few more verses here. You got 14 verses in this chapter. Why not take aim at immorality again? Or why not take an aim at, you know, delivering uh, the exact way the church should function under this mode or this moment? Or why not outline this for us? But instead, he spends five verses intentionally aiming at fellow leaders, aiming at Christian leaders, aiming at pastors, aiming at the shepherds in the church. Why? Because it is of absolute importance to the growth of the body of the Christ for shepherds to serve its flock in this way. And our culture is in dire need of pastors that will model 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And I bet in those communities early on, and as the church began to dispense that they were looking for leadership and wondering, where's the level? What, what do we raise? How high is that level of leadership? What should we expect of them? He says, let me lay it out there for you. You should do so with willingness, with eagerness. You should shepherd, not for personal gain, not you're obligated, but you're willing to do so. And prayerfully as a church and as a congregation, you enter into now knowing how to pray for your pastors. This morning's all been about prayer. And now you know, as your pastor, which is so awkward for pastors to do, we're not good at asking for help. But here's a place where you can come alongside your pastor and your other leaders and other leaders in other churches who you know are struggling, folks. Man, there are thousands of churches, and some of you know some of them, who desperately need godly leadership. And you have an opportunity, I believe, to pray for those leaders.
But again, we come back. Now we come into verse 5, and he says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Leadership within the church must be dispensed with grace and humility. Leadership within the church must be received with grace and humility. It's set up this way by God for us to fit together, for us to function most effectively for the kingdom of God. So this morning, I want to challenge you. Our invitation is this. Will you commit to pray for the leaders of this congregation and receive leadership with a spirit of grace and humility? Will you commit to pray for the leaders in this congregation and receive leadership with a spirit of grace and humility as we dispense with grace and humility? Trusting and knowing that's where our heart is, back and forth, as we desire to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus. This is an absolute necessity for your pastor and the other ministers on this church staff. This is an absolute necessity for pastors of other churches. And you know, Rich Fork, I don't know if you know this, but over the last three or four years, this place has served as a stopping off point for some people in ministry who face difficulties in life, who've, who've taken a break from ministry, who are stepping out of ministry, who have been stepped or pushed out of ministry, and, and God has landed them here, and I really, truly believe this. It's because you as a congregation exemplify receiving God's Word with grace and humility. You are setting an incredible example for pastors who are hurting that are stepping into this place. And you're loving on them and maybe not even meeting them because how you're receiving and how we are reciprocal in our nature of teaching with grace and humility, receiving with grace and humility. So that's an, a ministry that you don't even know has been taking place around you. As pastors have said, man, this is a great place for me to receive healing, for me to receive strength. And we want to continue to be that place as God opens that door for other pastors and other leaders. So this morning, you got lots of things to pray about, but they're all tied in that one request. Will you commit to pray for the leaders of this congregation and do so with a spirit of grace and humility? This morning, I'm not calling you to come down forward and, and you know, you pray with me specifically because there's others that serve on the staff. But I am challenging you when you leave this place with all seriousness. Would you pray for us in this role of Christian leadership? a fellow eldership of leading this flock that God has called us to. It's a beautiful calling. We love it. We enjoy it. But we ask for your prayers as we continue to shape this community by sharing the grace of Jesus. Let's pray this morning.